Welcome to the Bob Harden Show, bringing you news and commentary to keep you informed and enjoying life on the Paradise Coast. And now, here's your host, Bob Harden. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you part by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning. Johnson's Air Conditioning is Naples' longest established air conditioning company. They do great work, and you can find out more and give them a call. The website is johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. We have a terrific show for you today, including special guest Pastor Rick Stevens, co-founder of the Florida Citizens Alliance. Michael Cannon is the Director of Health Policy Studies at the Cato Institute. Seat Motley is the founder and president of Less Government and the former mayor of Naples, Bill Barnett, will give us a little flavor of what's happening here locally as well. It is June the 30th. Can you believe it? The last day of June. And on this day in 1936, Margaret Mitchell's Gone with the Wind, one of the best-selling novels of all time and the basis for a blockbuster 1939 movie, was published in 1926. Mitchell was forced to quit her job as a reporter at the Atlanta Journal to recover from a series of physical injuries. With too much time on her hands, she grew restless, working on a Remington typewriter, if you can believe that, a gift from her second husband, John R. Marsh. In their cramped one-bedroom apartment, Mitchell began telling the story of an Atlanta belle named Pansy O'Hara. In tracing Pansy's life from the antebellum south through the Civil War and into Reconstruction, Mitchell drew onto the tales that she had heard from her parents and other relatives, as well as from Confederate war veterans she had met as a young girl. The story presents a romanticized view of the Old South and does not engage with the horrors of slavery. And while she was extremely secretive about her work, Mitchell eventually gave the manuscript to Harold Latham, an editor for the New York's uh, Macmillan Publishing. Latham encouraged Mitchell to complete the novel with one important change, the heroine's name. Mitchell agreed to change it to Scarlet. Scarlett O'Hara. Published in 1936, Gone with the Wind caused a sensation in Atlanta and went on to sell millions of copies in the United States and throughout the world. The book drew criticism from its whitewashed depictions of slavery. Mitchell nonetheless won the Pulitzer Prize for fiction in 1937, and by the time the movie project was already in the works, the film was produced by Hollywood giant David O. Selznick, who paid Mitchell a record high $50,000 for the film rights to her book. After testing hundreds of unknowns and big-name stars to play Scarlet, Selznick hired British actress Vivian Lee days after the filming began. Though she didn't pay part in the film adaptation of her book, Mitchell did attend its premiere in December 1939 in Atlanta. She died just 10 years later after she was struck by a speeding car while crossing Atlanta's Peachtree Street. Story of Gone with the Wind. What a great novel it was, too. Well, starting Friday, Florida's residents, that'll be tomorrow, will get a break from paying less sales tax on certain events and outdoor equipment as part of the July 4th Freedom Week tax break. This break was part of a tax package passed by lawmakers this year. Tax Sales tax won't be collected on uh, through July 7th on tickets for events such as concerts and sporting events or outdoor recreation items like fishing and camping supplies, sports equipment, and items like snorkels and masks, life jackets, coolers, and paddle surf- surfboards. So if you have those things in mind, uh, this is the week to get them. Also, a law take eff- takes effect on Friday, which makes it easier for people to pay off court fees, including those racked up for traffic violations, with easier payment plans that advocates say will are needed to help people recover from mistakes rather than spiraling into deeper debt. Instead of having to pay all costs up front, people will owe fees they can pay either $25 a month or 2% of their annual income divided by 12, whichever is greater. So good news for uh, the populace. Supreme Court Justice Stephen Breyer has announced that he will step down from the high court effective today at noon he will, who notified President Biden in January of his intent to retire at the end of uh, his current term, under, I must say, pressure from Democrats, updated the president in a letter Wednesday after the Supreme Court made it known that it was its issues, its final opinions uh, today. The court has announced that tomorrow, beginning at 10 a.m., it will hand down all remaining opinions, some during this term. Accordingly, my retirement will, uh, for active service will be effective Thursday at noon, he wrote, It's been my great honor to participate as a judge in the effort to maintain our Constitution and the rule of law, Breyer wrote. 
He joined the Supreme Court after his nomination from Bill Clinton, making him the second longest-serving active justice prior to his retirement behind Justice Clarence Thomas, who joined the court in 1991. As Breyer previously announced that he would retire at the end of the term, it allowed President Biden to nominate a replacement before Breyer officially stepped away from the bench. Biden, who had said he would uh, select a black woman for the job, chose D.C. Circuit Court Judge Katenji Brown Jackson. The Senate confirmed Jackson's nomination in April. Once Breyer's retirement is official, she will be sworn in by taking the required constitutional and judicial oaths. In his retirement letter, Breyer noted Jackson's confirmation that he understands that Jackson is prepared to take the prescribed oaths to begin her service as the 116th member of this court. I do wonder, however, if Jackson has yet been able to define a woman. It would be reassuring to many of us if she could and would. In any event, uh, Justice Breyer, uh, he was a, a, good, a good justice, a good associate justice. Even though I don't agree with most of his opinions, I think he was fair-minded. Well, the Florida Supreme Court on Wednesday approved Governor Ron DeSantis' request to impanel a statewide grand jury to investigate immigration-related issues such as smuggling of undocumented children into the state of Florida. Mirroring his request, the order listed a series of issues that the grand jury could probe. The Supreme Court said the grand jury will have jurisdiction throughout the state of Florida to investigate crime, return indictments, make presentments, and other perform uh, all functions of a grand jury with regard to offenses listed in the order. Impaneling statewide grand juries is relatively rare in Florida. Perhaps the highest profile statewide grand jury in recent years was formed to investigate school safety and other issues after the 2018 mass shooting at Parkland's Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School. But DeSantis and Attorney General Ashley Moody have been focused heavily on immigration issues. Frequently criticizing the Biden's administration's border policies, Moody, among other things, has filed or signed onto a series of lawsuits challenging the federal policies. In a 12-page petition to the Supreme Court requesting the grand jury, DeSantis and his general counsel, Ryan Newman, listed several issues as justification for the investigation. The reasons included smuggling of undocumented children who can be sexually exploited or used to traffic drugs and weapons. The petition also said that many undocumented immigrants end up in Florida. As more aliens enter the United States and settle in Florida, more will seek to have children illegally smuggled here as well, the petition said. So another good move on the part of our, uh, our governor. Well, the far-left New York Times was forced to admit that there's no abortion bounce for Democrats in Tuesday night's primary elections. The sad, sad trombone headline read, A Roe v. Wade bounce in primary turns out does not appear to be materializing. And the sad story goes like this. The Supreme Court decision ending constitutional right to abortion was expected to motivate voters. Turnout in several states hosted primaries on Tuesday, however, appeared to be typically sluggish. Turnout in the Democrat and Republican primaries was anemic across New York City during the first full-fledged gubernatorial primaries since the rollout of early voting, according to stats from the Board of Elections. Of note in the quote is the New York Times' ludicrous claim that maybe too many people had voted early. Well, that's not the case. Uh, what the, you may recall, they were predicting there's going to be civil war on the streets. People will be in violence and everywhere and just all kinds of outrage. So where is the outrage the media has promised for us for 50 years? Where's the energy and the activism and the death of the GOP and the media have promised for 50 years if Roe was overturned? And this isn't the first sign that 50 years of media and Democrat Party threats of abortion being a third rail issue will lead to a civil war. The polls bear this out, even media polls. But what's really exposed to the lie is the lack of uh, taking it to the streets. The throngs and throngs were promised all stayed home after the weekend, even after the decision came on Friday, just before a very nice weekend weather-wise. You couldn't ask for better conditions that would allow the promised throngs to flood the streets and they just didn't. A few thousand showed up, sure, and the crowds were small and insane. It wasn't, uh, but it certainly wasn't the revolution the media promised. It was all a bluff, a hollow threat from the Democrat Party and a fake media who knew Roe v. Wade was not, would not stand legal scrutiny, who knew more people would be opposed to Roe than had rig polls let on, and now the sad little bluff has been called and the public has responded with a big shrug. Democrats and the media are, again, exposed as extremists and liars, woefully out of touch with reality. 
And by the way, Democrats might seek to make the midterms a one-term referendum on abortion. But the latest YouGov polling shows Republicans have gained one point on the generic midterm ballot after the Supreme Court constitutionally kicked the issue of abortion law to the states. Uh, in the generic polls, the, uh, the Republicans on June 21st, it was 45 to 41, for, uh, four uh, points in favor of Republicans. On the 27th, after the ruling, it was a one point better, Republicans plus 5%. A generic ballot uh, poll question like uh, asked likely midterm voters whether they would vote Republican or Democrat in November's congressional elections, leaving out the specifics of the candidates in the individual races. Here's how it read. If an election for U.S. Congress was held today, would you vote uh, for the, in the district where you live? The poll read. And the YouGov uh, Economist poll surveyed 1,500 folks, and uh, this is pretty accurate. So, again, most people don't fall in line with uh, those that are resisting uh, Roe v. Wade being overturned. Well, it's become increasingly clear the experiment of the mRNA vaccines are, are nothing close to safe or effective as they've been billed to be. For months, data has been emerging that not only shows the vaccines do little in the way of stopping transmission or likely to spread the virus, and are causing an untold amount of serious medical complications such as myocarditis, pulmonary embolism, blood clots, immune system failure, and sudden adult death syndrome, known as SADS for short. It is sad. Yet somehow the medical experts in the tyrannical Biden regime continue advocating that Americans take the toxic jab, uh, promising its safety and effectiveness as the vaccine has caused no issues whatsoever, and that as the government's uh, own vaccine adverse events report system, VAERS, you may have heard about this, which is notoriously unreported, is showing nearly 30,000 and over 50,000 permanent disabilities, 30,000 deaths, 50,000 permanent disabilities related to the vaccine. So naturally, Fauci and the expert just greenlighted the jab for babies and toddlers, and while it may be obvious to those paying attention that the experimental mRNA treatment has caused profound damage to the health of people across the globe, the extent of the problem is still vague, even if we know it's widespread. However, thanks to this new research study that was published this week by the Social Science Research Network, we are finally starting to see the bigger picture and the safe and effective narrative should finally be able to be destroyed once and for all. According to the study... MRNA vaccines from both Moderna and Pfizer were more likely to cause a severe adverse reaction uh, than prevent COVID hospitalizations, and not just a little bit uh, more either. Moderna's vaccine was found to cause a 15.1 serious adverse events for every 6.4 people kept out of the hospital. And Pfizer's mRNA was even worse, clocking in an astonishing 10.1 serious adverse events per 23 prevented hospitalizations. Pretty serious stuff and uh, clearly brings into question the efficacy of the uh, jab. Why are they pushing it? What's going on? There's another uh, agenda here and it's not being revealed. This segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest established air conditioning company. I hope you'll visit johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. Coming up, Pastor Rick Stevens, co-founder of the Florida Citizens Alliance. That and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. I'm Bob Harden, the host of The Bob Harden Show. One of my favorites for breakfast or lunch is Lulabee's Diner, providing great service, fabulous food, and a rockin' good time. Lulabee's Diner is a throwback to the 60s, complete with great music and a fabulous 60s decor. What I like best is a blend of great food, great value, and terrific service. Most of the friendly waitstaff has been part of Lulabee's for years. I enjoy the great choices for breakfast and lunch, and you'll find the menu has everything and anything to satisfy your taste. Lulabee's offers catering, party platters, lunch boxes, and more. 
Lulubee's Diner will quickly become one of your favorites for breakfast or lunch. No reservations are needed. Check out the website at lulubees.com and stop by Lulubee's Diner, open from 8 a.m. until 2 p.m. seven days a week. Lulubee's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center at the corner of Immokalee and Airport Pulling Roads. Stop by Lulubee's Diner for fabulous food and for a forever cool rockin' good time. Collier County Sheriff Kevin Rambaugh says the number one reason the elderly become victims is isolation. The Collier Senior Center goes a long way in keeping seniors connected with the community and with each other. The Collier Senior Center, located at 4898 Coronado Parkway in Golden Gate, provides comprehensive information regarding services and resources that affect the quality of life of older adults and their caregivers in Collier County, empowering them to maintain independent and meaningful lives. Here's Esther Lully, director of Collier Senior Center. Everyone, every senior is welcome. There's diversity there. It's vibrant. It's a caring atmosphere. So there's a reason we offer the services and programs that we do. We want to help enrich the lives of senior members and provide support to their caregivers. Want to find out more? Visit CollierSeniorCenter.org. That's CollierSeniorCenter.org. Or call the Collier Senior Center at 239-252-4541. That's 252 252- 4541. Welcome back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harton. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Choice Social. Choice Social is a new refreshing social networking platform. And you can find out more and download the app by visiting the very robust website, choicesocial.us. Coming up, we're going to visit with Seton Motley, the founder and president of Less Government. Right now we have with us Pastor Rick Stevens. He is a co-founder of the Florida Citizens Alliance. Pastor Rick, thank you so much for joining us. Hey, always a pleasure. Thanks for having me. My pleasure, Pastor Rick. Tell us about the Florida Citizens Alliance. Well, the Florida Citizens Alliance formed about 10 years ago, and we've been trying to help parents and grandparents and all really the residents of Florida have a voice in improving the education of their children. We are mostly volunteer. Uh, A lot of us just give our time and energy because we want to help our kids have great opportunities. And we try to amplify the voices of parents and grandparents across Florida. And then we try to provide solutions to them and to others for the problems that crop up in the process of trying to give their kids the best education. We hope people can join and support us. Visit our website, goflca.org, because we are the organization for you. Yeah, and I I would like to just underscore that. Uh, The impact that the Florida Citizens Alliance has had on uh, public education in Florida has been astounding, quite frankly, in 10 years and a decade. Gained such credibility has... Uh, real inroads into the legislature as well as the governor's office. So uh, I just really commend you on the work that you're doing to improve education, uh, public education here in Florida, Pastor Rick. Well, thank you, Bob. We we do try our best to, to main, maintain good relationships with all of the people you mentioned and including the, the Department of Education, because sometimes we can talk to the right people there and that gets a solution done much quicker than going through some of the other steps in the process. Which brings up the fact that here we are uh, in uh, just in the end of June, and yet I'm sure you're beginning to look at legislation for the next legislative session. Uh, what's on your mind at this point? Well, I'm sure people think you're talking about the legislature when they don't meet until next year. Well, exactly. We're starting to draft, and, and we have begun formulating our legislative agenda. A lot of times people don't realize that the decision makers in the legislature start really early long before elections and all of that to decide what they want to get done during the the really brief legislative session. And so we've been working on that. And and one of the things at the top of our list is to continue to encourage the legislature to enact universal education savings accounts for all children. Hmm. That would mean we would start funding students instead of funding systems. And we think that's a that would be a huge step. And other states are doing it, by the way. And we think Florida needs to as well. So if that would, if I understand correctly, then by funding the student, that would uh, really enhance school choice and would allow parents to make a choice about how that money is spent and where it's spent? Yes, that's exactly right. Most people realize we've been strong supporters of, of school choice, so the parents have the choices of where to send their children. 
And with the concept behind these universal education savings accounts, it simply apportions the money to the students, and then the parents sign their students up in the school of their choice. Hmm. It really it really makes a lot of sense because think about the, the amount of time our children spend with their teachers, and yet parents have little input into that. Giving them these savings accounts would, would really change the dynamic for parents and their students. As well as the uh, the, the teachers in the uh, schools as well, because then all of a sudden it becomes a competitive uh, playing field instead of just the uh, monopoly that it's been for years and years and years. So they're going to have to uh, compete against other schools. That's a great idea. Well, that's right. And, and you mentioned teachers, and people shouldn't forget that. This would really help us support teachers that know how to teach and want to help our students because the teachers would then have a much stronger role in, in the whole process because they are with the students, they talk to the parents, and we want to support the good teachers that are out there and help them have the best teaching environment possible. We think the idea of school choice and education savings accounts would help teachers as well. All right. Well, we're going to support education savings accounts. That's a great idea. Uh, anything else that you're uh, supporting? Well, we are still working to try to get a handle on and get it stopped, really, this idea of pornographic and sexually explicit material in our schools. People find it difficult sometimes to believe it's there, and then they find it amazing that it's so difficult to get it removed. And we're going to keep working on that and keep encouraging the legislature to make some changes that will fix that. And in parallel to that, people remember the, the bill last year that later became law when the governor signed it into law that talked about we cannot have sexualized children in K through third grade. Mm -hmm. And lots of people talked about that, you know, demagogued it. We think the legislature should expand that all the way out to at least sixth grade. And so we're going to talk about some of those kind of things, maybe all the way through middle school. Really, we think it, this should be true in every grade level. Uh, it's funny how difficult it is to get funny, sad, how difficult it is to get these things through and to get the right kind of attention on them. Uh, no question. I mean, I don't even recall in high school, even in high school ever, uh, having discussions in a classroom around some of these issues that, quite frankly, they're trying to bring <laughs> to the uh, to the elementary school kids, it's just amazing to me that the, how much has changed over the years. Well, really, that's true, and and it makes some of us feel like we've lived a long time, and I guess we have. But I agree the same way. We didn't have any of this kind of stuff when I was in school, and I was in a local school committee meeting. They were asking us for some help on things, and I mentioned that, and people didn't disagree. And one of the things that I said to the to the group was, we need to have high expectations of our kids. And if we expect them not to get caught up in this stuff, we can bring that to pass. The kids are curious about everything, but they can learn what they need to learn now and leave some of these other things till the time they become adults and, and have the maturity to handle it. We just have to protect their innocence right now. That's very important. Absolutely. Hey, I mean, this is a kind of off on a tangent, but nevertheless, I think it's important. We in Collier County know that our uh, superintendent of schools is retiring. Uh, I would encourage our listeners to, if you're in Collier County, to let to your uh, school board members know that you do not want a new superintendent appointed before the elections come up in August. And uh, because uh, we, sh we should make sure that we have the right person in the job. And uh, many of us have been unhappy with the current school board. So this would be a great opportunity to, to put the brakes on appointing a new superintendent of schools in Collier County. Well, that's exactly right. And people, voters, need to realize that the power is in their hands this fall. And, well, really in August for the primary. People shouldn't forget how important the primary is. The power is in their hands to make substantive changes. And you're right. Choosing a new superintendent is a very significant decision. And we need the right people in the school board seats to make that decision. And it would be real respect for the voters if the school board refused to, to address that problem until after the elections. I don't know if the school board members in Collier County will respect the voters, but it would really be a sign of respect for them to put the brakes on that, as you say, and not move forward until after the elections have been resolved. And again, to, to your point, elections coming up in August. In many cases, if the uh, uh, if uh, a candidate gets 50 percent of the votes, that's it. They, they become the new uh, school board members. So please pay attention to this. It's a big, big deal. And uh, we haven't been paying enough attention. And. Well, the consequence is well, we have what I consider to be inferior education. Well, we do need to pay attention, and people 
can and and have and are making big differences. And and that's one of the things that we're trying to help voters as well. In Florida, there's no system to recall school board members after they're elected. And we'd like to put a a system in place. So that's one of our legislative agenda items to help the voters have more power in the process. Perfect. Again, Pastor Rick Stevens, co-founder of the Florida Citizens Alliance, I encourage you to visit the website and make a contribution. I mean, they do great work and they have, I think, one or two paid employees and that's it because everybody else is working on their on their own dime going up to Tallahassee. Again, it's GoFLCA.com. GoFLCA.com. Pastor Rick, always appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks so much, Bob. My pleasure indeed. All right, coming up, we're going to be visiting with Michael Cannon. Michael is the uh, Director of Health Policy Studies at the Cato Institute. That and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Do you suffer with chronic pain and discomfort? After back surgery, I had painful tendons and muscles and difficulty standing upright. On a referral, I visited Dr. Alec at I Am Designed to Heal, Naples Only Vitality and Longevity Practice, where acupuncture, medical massage, energy healing, and integrative holistic medicine are harmonized to create a -a one-of-a-kind restorative experience. After only two visits, my pain began to dissipate and I could stand and walk more upright. It was amazing. I plan to continue my treatments to enhance my sense of well-being. Don't suffer needlessly with discomfort and pain. Improve your quality of life. See for yourself and make an appointment by visiting the website IamDesignedToHeal.com. That's IamDesignedToHeal.com or you can call or text Dr. Alec at 239-322-3817. That's 322-3817. Visit IamDesignedToHeal.com for an amazing, one-of-a-kind, restorative experience. Do you have questions about your retirement? Ameriprise Private Wealth Advisor Jason Nardella with Nardella Financial Group, a private wealth advisory practice of Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, can help. With the exclusive Confident Retirement Approach, you'll work together to develop a retirement roadmap to get you where you want to go. Call Nardella Financial Group today at 239-325-1041. That's 239-325-1041. Office is located at 9015 Stratistel Court, Suite 103, Naples, Florida. The Confident Retirement Approach is not a guarantee of future financial results. Investment advisory products and services are made available through Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, a registered investment advisor. Welcome back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host... Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. We're providing you news and commentary rooted in a commitment to individual liberty, personal responsibility, limited government, and the rule of law. Coming up, we're going to be visiting with uh, former mayor of Naples, Bill Barnett. Right now we have with us Michael Cannon. He is the director of health policy studies at the Cato Institute. Michael, thank you so much for joining us. Great to be here. Thank you, Michael. Tell us about the Cato Institute. The Cato Institute is a think tank in Washington, D.C. We are a libertarian think tank, which means we want to expand individual liberty in all areas of human endeavor. And when that comes to public policy, it means that we want we want there to be a government, but we want it to be a limited government. We want it to protect your right to live your life however you want, so long as you respect the equal rights of others. And as I said before, you would think that would be a pretty uncontroversial or non-controversial idea, but in Washington, D.C., that is highly controversial because Washington, D.C. is full of people who want to run your life and uh, have all sorts of good reasons for why they should. And uh, certainly are pursuing power to the nth degree. So, Michael, uh, this Roe v. Wade decision came down. The Supreme Court, I think, made a great decision passing the uh, this, the uh, power around abortion to the states as opposed to the federal government. Um, I'd be really interested, number one, in just uh, your position on the decision, and then number two, where you think this is all going to lead. Well, so I'm not a constitutional scholar, uh, 
And uh, so I'm not going to uh, weigh in on the on the legal merits of the decision. There are lots of people who know a lot more about that than I do. Mm-hmm. And uh, abortion is something that divides even libertarians, just like it divides the rest of the country. I think there is one area that we can that, that everyone there are areas I should say multiple areas where everyone should be able to agree mm-hmm. on this issue, and one of them has to do with. Uh, whether states that want to, or, or uh, policymakers who want to restrict abortion, should be restricting access to the medications that induce uh, labor and therefore uh, can, induce, uh, can induce abortion. Here I'm talking about misoprostol and misoprostone. These are drugs that the FDA has approved for what people call medication abortions. And some states, it's either have uh, tried to ban this, these, these drugs or it's unclear about whether the laws that they have on the books that restrict abortion also restrict access to these drugs. Some countries have restricted access to these drugs, like Brazil. And uh, I submit that regardless of your position on abortion, you should not want to restrict access to these drugs because uh, for the same reason that the government shouldn't be restricting access to any drug. Uh, it is not the government's business why uh, people are taking these drugs. Um, <clears throat> uh, and there's a serious inconsistency between the conservative, even if you're, let's say you're pro-life, you're a pro-life conservative. There's a serious consistency between the conservative position on guns and on uh, pills like uh, mifepristone and uh, misoprostol. Some conservatives will say these drugs uh, are uh, drugs that uh, women use to induce abortion, and they believe that that is murder. Well, there are all uh, firearms are also a tool that people use to kill others. Mm-hmm. But conservatives will fight to the death, it seems sometimes, to preserve uh, the right to keep and bear arms, and they will even make the argument that hey, it's not the gun that kills people. People kill people. Right. Well, by the same token, it, the pro- when it comes to these uh, drugs that induce abortion, the problem, uh, in so far as you see it, the problem is not the pill itself. It's the person who's using it. Yeah. And just like guns, these pills have other uses that are unrelated to uh, uh, positive uses that are unrelated to uh, the, the controversial ones. So I would say that I would say in response, Michael, I, I agree with everything you've said up to this point, and it shouldn't be the government's decision about what medication is available and so forth. But I think there is a point in time where abortion uh, ceases to be a, a matter of choice for the mother or for the the pregnant person, <laughs> to be politically correct, uh, and murder. I mean, in other words, uh, and I don't. Uh, this is up to philosophers and people a lot more bright than I to uh, make those decisions. But I think probably the state should decide uh, when. Uh, that, uh, you know, uh, it's no longer abortion, it's murder. And that's probably 15 weeks, 12 weeks. I'm not exactly sure what that number is. What are your thoughts? The On, on that question, I'm not sure I, I have any, uh, any more insight to, to, offer, <clears throat> to offer than you. What the point that I want to make about these drugs is that they have beneficial uses uh, uh, doctors use these drugs to induce labor at term. Mm-hmm. They use these drugs to induce labor after a miscarriage. Mm-hmm. These drugs are incredibly valuable. And when uh, governments have tried to restrict access to them in order to restrict their use for medication and abortion, it has limited their availability for these uses that everyone agrees are not abortion. Yeah. Uh, they uh, they help women bring live babies into the world by by inducing labor. Yeah. If you're restricting access to these drugs, you're making it harder for that to happen, and uh, and perhaps increasing the risk of complications uh, at term. Yeah. So so uh, the the approach that whether you're pro-choice, whether you're pro-life, the approach I think you should be taking to these drugs is the same that conservatives take to guns, or that the, we should be taking to all drugs, which is. It's not the government's business to say what drugs should or should not be on the market. Yeah, would it be up to the doctor to make that a prescription, though, wouldn't it? 
So that depends on what the, I also think it's not the government's business uh, to decide whether a drug should be available over the counter or only with a prescription. Right now, the FDA makes that decision. And uh, I, I, if, if we were respecting people's rights uh, to make their own health decisions, the government would uh, would pull back so that it would not be imposing those requirements. It would be up to the manufacturer mm-hmm. to decide whether uh, whether patients would need a doctor's prescription in order to access these drugs. Such an interesting point, uh, Michael. I really appreciate the, this point of view, and I would I would agree with you that people should be able to make their own choice about the use of, uh, you know, uh, dynamite. Uh, it could be used for good or evil. It's neither good nor bad. It could be used for bad things or good things. Same thing with a gun, and same thing with medications as well. So I, I agree with everything you're saying. So your point is, uh, we need to make sure that the these medications, which can be used for good, should be available in all states. I think that's the case, and uh, that's not to say that I agree with the uh, Attorney General, Merrick Garland, who said that because the FDA has approved something, states cannot ban it. That's not how federalism works in our system of government. Uh, The FDA doesn't get to impose those sorts of uh, decisions on states. As it happens in this case, I think the FDA is correct in allowing these drugs to be on the market and uh, and and that the states should not ban them, but uh, it's sort of a funny legal argument that uh, yeah, no, this that's such a such uh, interesting points again. Michael Cannon, director of health policy studies at the Cato Institute, Cato.org is the website. C A T O dot org. Michael, thank you so much for your commentary here on the show. Anytime, Bob. Take care. My pleasure. All right, coming up, Seton Motley, the founder and president of Less Government. That and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Do you suffer from joint pain in your shoulders, hips, or knees? I was suffering from debilitating pain in my knees. On a referral, I saw Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine. He successfully treated my symptoms and pain for several months. Finally, having exhausted all alternatives for pain management, Dr. Markovich and I agreed that surgery was my best alternative. Dr. Markovich replaced both of my knees in 2006, and I now have full range of motion in both knees, and I have no pain. I now play golf and exercise free of debilitating pain in my knees. Don't suffer needlessly with joint pain. Call orthopedic surgeon Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine at 482-5399. That's 482-5399. He did a great job for me and he'll help you too. School Choice is a growing movement, one that is already lifting thousands of kids across America and is now supported by three out of four voters. The Optima Foundation, a 501c3 nonprofit, was founded to support the establishment and expansion of superior schools of choice. Optima's goal is the successful launch of Hillsdale College, classical academies, and other schools of excellence serving kindergarten through 12th grade. The mission is to train the minds and improve the hearts of young people through content-rich classical education in the liberal arts and sciences with instruction in the principles of moral character and civic virtue. A terrific product of the process, Naples Classical Academy opened this fall in a classical virtual school. Optima Classical Academy will open in 2022. Find out more by visiting OptimaEd.org. Help children in Florida optimize their education opportunities. Visit www.OptimaEd.org. Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harton. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Golf Shore Playhouse, building a 44,000 square foot performing arts center in downtown Naples. It could be absolutely fabulous, but also currently bringing you professional New York style theater at its very best. And you can find out more and get tickets by visiting the website, golfshoreplayhouse.org. Coming up, we're going to visit with the former mayor of Naples, Bill Barnett. Right now, we have the Seton Motley. Seton is the founder 
and president of Less Government. Seton, thank you so much for joining us. Good morning, sir. Good morning, Seton. Tell us about Less Government. Yeah, we exist through a size, scope, and sphere of influence of government, and it's a bear market. <laughs> well, you know, the road to hell is uh, paved with good intentions, as they say. And uh, you've written a column about that uh, demonstrates that. It's called Payday Lenders. More and more D.C. leftists are siding with big business. Maybe you can tell us about it. Yeah, you know, I, I, I talk about how you know the D.C. business model is selling the U.S. by the pound. Yeah. And like like a, a bunch of butchers. And as this has gotten bigger and bigger business, you're seeing some really whiplash-inducing ideological inconsistencies. And one of them is the le- the hard left is doing more and more doing the bidding of big business. Yep. Um, you and I talked about net neutrality, which is what the biggest companies in the history of the planet want. And a bunch of leftist organizations and leftist people are pushing for it. And that makes no sense. And then, of course... There's a there's a group called the National Consumer Law Center, and it, it dates back. It was started with government money by the Lyndon Johnson administration, hmm. and it's a it's part of the new you know um, Great Society crap, and it they kind of spun it off, and it's 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 now a you know a leftist nonprofit, and it's the the Consumer Law Center exists to help the poor and the, and the and, you know that's their mission statement to help the poor in in legal matters to 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 defend them against the wealthy and powerful uh in legal in in things legal so they don't get steamrolled by the by the wealthy and the powerful well they just released a report trying to kill payday lenders Mm -hmm. well payday lenders for people who don't know are little tiny guys you see them in storefronts in little strip malls in the poorest neighborhoods in the country and what they do is they lend you money short term to your next payday hence the term payday lender um for poor people who don't have enough cash to handle many crises that arise in the course of life Uh, the example i always use is you got to get to work but you you know you've you're, you stripped your transmission on your car, right? So you got a, you don't have the money to pay for the transmission, so you borrow the money from the payday lender, so you can, you know, in part, you know, rent a car to get to work uh, until your car is fixed, and then you pay back the payday loan. Well, that's the whole business model. It's for the really poor people with really, often with really bad credit. And by the way, Seton, that happens to be a lot, a growing percentage of people right that's, now with inflation and everything that's going on right now. Most- that's exactly right. It's becoming a, it's becoming a bigger and bigger. Well, I've always said that in third world countries, you have a handful of very wealthy people and everybody else is destitute. Mm-hmm. That's, that's the model. Look at California. That's Silicon Valley and the rest of the country states think. You know, Silicon Valley and Hollywood and the rest of the state is destitute. So yes, you're right. It's it's becoming a a a helpful model for more and more people in this idiotic economy that we've created. So the NCL. So of course, for reasons that surpass understanding, the NCLC, in the name of helping the little guy, is going after payday lenders. Well, the main reason payday lenders exist is because big banks don't lend the poor people money. Mm-hmm. And I even found a study from 2017. The the big bank's entire business model is to not do any business with poor people. They they all the you know all the you know the the, the they don't make money on you know, on regular checking, right? Yeah. So all those fees and all the late fees and the overdraft fees and the all those things are hardest on the poor people, obviously. Right. And and one of the points is, you know. They can, you can only deposit checks during business hours. You can take money out whenever you want. So if you start overdrafting your account at the ATM on Friday, you're going to have four or five $30 late, you know, overdraft fees come Monday. Right. And, and so, so it's, 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 they've tried to avoid, big banks have tried to avoid doing any business at all 
with poor people. That certainly means lending them money. So small banks used to lend poor people money, but Dodd-Frank, thanks to government, uh, uh, Dodd-Frank, the, the stupid law that passed after the 2008 housing crisis, killed thousands of community and small banks while making big banks 30% bigger, all in the name of too big to fail. Right. <laughs> all in the name of addressing too big to fail. So, so, that, so the payday lenders kind of rushed to fill the void at the lower end of the spectrum. And now the government's trying to cap the, the, the rates they can charge. And, of course, as you and I have discussed, the rates are on very short-term loans to very poor people with very poor credit. Right. So if, if you look at the percentage, you can freak out. You say, oh, my goodness. But in the reality of, A, a free market, and B, the short-term nature of the loan, it's not a lot of money. Right. It's a, it's a glaring percentage, but it's not a lot of dollars. Right. So they're trying to cap these things. You know, the NCLC comes out, we need a cap. And they look at the different states with different caps. And, and I, the next thing I'm going to look at is, okay, let's look at the states with more caps and you know, lower caps and see how little lending is going to poor people in those states. Yeah, of course. So, you know, you, you, you literally put these people out of business because you say you got to lower your interest rates down to 20 or 25%, whatever it might be. But payday lenders are going to basically say, hey, we can't make money doing that. We don't, we don't make any money doing this. We're going to stop doing it. It's the same, you know, the greatest example, of course, of all time, and we're, fa- we're going to face it again soon probably because these morons don't know history, is in the 70s we capped prices on gasoline. right. And what happened? People had money for gasoline. They just didn't have any gasoline to purchase because the shortages came because they stopped drilling for oil and, and, and refining for gasoline because they'd capped the prices so they couldn't make any money on doing it. Yeah, I can remember standing in line for an hour or two just because it, it, you had to go your alternate uh, license plate numbers. If it ended at an odd number, you went on, on the odd days and so forth. The point being is that uh, you had to plan around your ability to get fuel because of the shortage, and the shortage was created by a government fiat. Yes, yes. And Reagan came in. This is under Car- Nixon and Carter. And then Reagan came in and got rid of them. And this is, this is one of those giant non-stories non where the media just ignores something because it's unhelpful to their narrative. Right. Reagan came in, immediately got rid of price uh, caps on gasoline, and literally overnight, we, all the gas shortages went away. Yeah, and the media and the media said nothing because, of course, it was very wasn't very helpful to their leftist narrative that gee, the price caps didn't work, and when they went away, the, the, the shortages went away. Let's hope. So tra- let's hope they're, that trying they're, to, they're trying to short the. They're trying to uh, cap the loans and the same thing's going to happen yeah, ex- exactly i certainly hope this effort fails whatever it might be it's going to probably end up in legislative oh, and by the way of course it's bipartisan in washington <laughs> there's, there's a couple of republicans on the bill uh, make it of, of course seat motley again the founder and president of less government i really appreciate you bringing these issues to our attention see thank you so much for joining us here on the show thank you sir my pleasure indeed and again lessgovernment.org is the website less government dot uh, org. Okay, coming up, the former mayor of Naples, Bill Barnett, that and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Do you have questions about your retirement? Ameriprise Private Wealth Advisor Jason Nardella with Nardella Financial Group, a private wealth advisory practice of Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, can help. With the exclusive Confident Retirement Approach, you'll work together to develop a retirement roadmap to get you where you want to go. Call Nardella Financial Group today at 239-325-1041. That's 239-325-1041. Office is located at 9015 Stratistel Court, Suite 103, Naples, Florida. The confident retirement approach is not a guarantee of future financial results. Investment advisory products and services are made available through Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, a registered investment advisor.
Blue Provence Restaurant is a favorite dining destination for many Neapolitans, including Linda and myself. Blue Provence, located in a historic building in the heart of Old Naples at Creighton Cove, offers a mix of French bistro cooking with bold, fresh Floridian flavors. Experience award-winning cuisine at Blue Provence and enjoy one of Florida's most extensive, eclectic, and fun wine cellars. Dining your choice are the popular Eden Bar, the intimate Courtyard Garden, or the beautiful Provencal Caribbean Dining Room. Enjoy a wonderful and memorable evening in a casual and relaxed atmosphere that includes a taste of Provencal hospitality. Blue Provence is open seven days a week, all year round. Visit blueprovencenaples.com for reservations, everyday specials, and coming events. That's blueprovencenaples.com or call 261-8239. That's 261-8239. Blue Provence French Restaurant in the heart of Old Naples. Welcome back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harton. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability. Among other things, creating policies and programs to get able-bodied folks off of welfare and back to work. It's a moral imperative, and you can find out more by visiting the very robust website, thefga.org. We have with us the former mayor of Naples, Bill Barnett, always a fountain of good information on what's happening here locally. Bill, thank you so much for joining us. <laughs> well, you're welcome, Bob. At least it's a fountain of information. We don't know how good it is. <laughs> you know, it's, good. it's always good, salacious information, Bill. <laughs> So, so I understand uh, the uh, the uh, there's been a recent review of candidates, uh, interviews of candidates uh, running for public office. Yeah, um, our um, uh, Naples Better Government, uh, who is probably the, we are the only nonpartisan um, uh, group that uh, organization that does that. Um, we have in the last week interviewed um, all the candidates for running for school board and. Um, the um, majority of the county commission candidates that that uh, wanted to be interviewed that a couple of them uh, opted out but uh, that's another story for like next week or when they after they make their announcements um, but uh, yeah I mean there's some interesting candidates and some good ones and um, I, I think it'll be uh, I think county commission will be um, will be interesting um as well as as um school board yeah but you know those are big deals these days big deals with what's going on here bob geez absolutely absolutely now i know you can't uh uh, in your position uh make recommendations uh based on your interviews but um anything that you could tell us about that where can can we actually review the interviews that you conducted oh yeah absolutely you'll be able to we will be coming out with um with and with endorsements within the next couple of days and then ah. you can read uh all about who and why uh we endorse them sure that's oh. uh we are transparent bob <laughs> <laughs> unlike some government play <laughs> organizations yeah. so bill uh you know you came out I've, I've not seen this in the past but you came out with an endorsement for a candidate for a judge uh, position i did um uh, her name is Pam, Pamela Barger. She has been with the uh, uh, judicial system here now for uh, working for them for 15 years, serving the ju- judges, uh, doing uh, a lot of the a lot of the work. Um, and um, uh, she is running for. Did you know um, Mike Provost? He he was a county um, judge for a long time, and he's retired. And she's running for his spot. And I'll tell you what, she's as ethical. As they come, uh, a family family person, really, really uh, qualified, well qualified, and so um, I, I don't normally do that, but I decided yes, I'm going to uh, endorse her because people don't you you don't know who the judges are. You know, you get your ballot, yep, and you're looking and you say I don't know anything about this person, you know, um, and so but they're not, you know, they're. They're bound strictly. I guess you you know probably as well as I do. They 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 can't go out and you know send out brochures and campaign literature and uh, and all that. So um, I felt that this was a good thing, and she's she she's a very very good lady. I can't so tell we'll you I can't tell you how many times, Bill, that uh, I get phone calls from friends saying, "Hey, I got my ballot here in front of me. Who should I vote for?" Right. <laughs> 
Yeah, you want to see the phone? You want to see the phone at our house? I, I tell you what, or listen to it. Oh my gosh, yeah. They call Chris and they say, uh, "Chris, uh, we we got a ballot. Who do I vote for?" She's just a minute. Let me get Bill. She knows as well as I do, you know who you who we support and and who we don't. And and um, it, it it is amazing because the candidates uh, all do put out so much literature. It's unbelievable. And yet there are still so many people that just that that don't know even reading about them, which you, you don't know, know what you're reading. I mean, they, everybody's going to say how good they are and what they're going to do. Right. And um, so sometimes, you know, you reach out and say, hey, you know, um, who is this person and what do you know about them? So, yeah, it's that season. Let me tell you that. Yeah. And I must say that I've actually uh, supported uh, in, in, uh, financially and otherwise uh, candidates who run for example. I'm thinking of somebody in Collier County Commissioner. Uh, and a candidate I thought would be an outstanding candidate for Collier County Commissioner and turned out to be horrible. <laughs> it was, yeah. You know, well. Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, you know, that kind of thing. <laughs> Well, you, you never, you never, you just, you never know. And gosh, you know, for me with campaign promises and whatever, I just don't, you know, I don't think I've ever said, well, maybe I did when I was a rookie many, many, many years ago about I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. And yeah, I will, yeah. I will tell you this much, Bob, about the, about the interviews, you know, they have to do a platform statement. Uh, this is for County Commission and for school board, but for County Commission. And it was amazing to me to see that um, that that some of them absolutely just absolutely didn't have a clue of um, and and they talk like yeah well I, well when I'm a county when I'm elected county commissioner I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that not one of them said anything about consensus building or the fact that they had to work with four other commissioners right yeah. and so the question would have been to them. Well, would you, Mr. Harden, would you mind telling me how you're going to accomplish this, uh, this feat that you've uh, uh, spoken about, you know, um, because that's such a big part of it is you, you have to get along with your, well, you don't have to get along with them, but you're going to have to work with them one way or the other. No. So that's a big thing, but nobody ever talks about it. Well, and the sunshine laws that we have here in Florida, they're outstanding in many ways because it prevents uh, deals behind closed doors and so forth on one hand. On the other hand, doesn't it prevent some discussion about informal discussion about issues between, uh, uh, for example, Cuyahoga County commissioners or, or uh, Naples uh, uh, members, Council. yeah. Does is that inhibiting in any way uh, exchange of information and building consensus? Well, no, because it's done in the sunshine. But the thing is, is that is that you always have, uh, you know, it, it stays underground or, or so to speak. But let me tell you, Bob, if if you you wanted to, and and I hope that none of them do that anyway. There's always a, a suspicion or a question well there's some information how would they possibly get that information or whatever you know there no matter uh, what you do there's always ways around it but i think for the most part the sunshine law um although a lot of people do not like it i think it's i think it's great and i think it's an absolute must be because we can remember the 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 way way back days before that was uh in effect so yeah you're right i mean it's a, it's a it's it's very good but you know when people want to take advantage of something they figure out they'll they'll figure out a way and no, no no question about it well the, uh, yeah. the the donkey press the naples daily news says that uh, uh, tourism is going to be down here in the summer and uh, that the real estate prices are going to level out but lee county is going to take off i just appreciate any comments you could make on either issue yeah i um i i saw i saw that i don't you know the tourist uh, for the summer, might that might well be true, but it might not be either. Right. I mean, um, uh, because people are going to want some place to go, even if they're not flying, they're they're going to be driving if they can afford the gas. And um, uh, I don't know that about the real estate prices either. I haven't seen anybody. Uh, uh, I haven't seen any bargains in Naples under the real estate lately. No, have you? <laughs> no, neither have I. <laughs> Bill Barnett again, former mayor of Naples. Always appreciate your candid commentary here on the show bill thank you so much for joining us bob thank you and have a wonderful fourth you as well thank you bill well that's a wrap here on today's show i hope you'll join us tomorrow uh, we're going to visit with a couple of great guests uh, william yateman is a research fellow at the cato institute 
Uh, Larry Bell, he's uh, endowed professor at the University of Houston in space architecture and author of many, many books. We'll have other guests as well. I uh, always appreciate hearing your comments on the show. You can send me an email at bobharden at hotmail.com, bobharden at hotmail.com. I hope you make it a great day on the Paradise Coast or wherever you are. Namaste. Thanks so much for listening to the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. For more information and audio files of previous shows, visit www.bobharden.com.